Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, and welcome to our Take Control of Your Health podcast, in which we bring you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. This next interview is part of my Best of series, which features some of the most popular interviews with leading health experts. So thank you for listening. Now let's get started with this week's program to help you and your family take control of your health. Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined with Dr. Leon Chatow, who's written a book about this and will help us understand the details of the dangers and what we can, more importantly, what we can do to correct this infection that's so common in so many people. So welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So perhaps it might be best to start uh, by explaining what your training is and where you where you uh, reside and practice and then what motivated you to focus on this as an area of your personal interest and, and clinical interest. So I'm trained as an osteopath, naturopath, British trained and uh, practiced in England for 30, 30 odd years before moving to Greece where I live now, live both in London and in Greece. In the mid-1980s, um, I began to notice a change, or not a change, but an increase in the number of patients who were coming to me with symptoms that I had not recognized as being as common as they had become. Uh, there was an increase in uh, digestive gut problems. There was an increase in uh, yeast-related uh, illnesses that uh, they were reporting skin problems, vaginitis, and fatigue was a major feature. So I was really concerned about what was um, producing this change in my patient population. And it was at that time that I came across Dr. Crook's book on the yeast connection and uh, read it, and it illuminated the story. I began to understand what I was dealing with. And I contacted Dr. Crook and uh, we communicated. And it's from there on that uh, an evolution in dealing with the yeast. Um, let me just go sideways. When I've got, uh, in my practice had a problem with understanding fully the nature of what I'm dealing with, I tended to, to try to write about it, either an article, a journal article, or Sometimes these ended up as books. So what actually happened as I explored the yeast connection, I had to put my own take on it, my own spin on it, if you like, as far as I was seeing it in the United Kingdom. And what happened then was, um, by, by synchronicity, um, a publisher asked me whether I'd be interested in writing a book about my work. So the book that I, you mentioned is the fourth edition of that book, which came out in 1985, and it was then known as Candida, could yeast be your problem? And it's very much the question you asked at the beginning of our, our talk. Um, and as that evolved, I began to see um, the link with chronic fatigue syndrome, with um, patients who had chronic pain problems, with uh, fibromyalgia type symptoms. And that led me on to other things which we may get to explore. But basically, my interest was um, triggered by patients and then illuminated by Dr. Crook, and then um, resolved, if you like, in terms of how to manage the condition, at least at that time, um, by exploring 
all the options, and that came out of uh, writing the book. Great. <clears throat> well, Dr. Crook's book was uh, also really instrumental in my personal journey into natural health, and many people may not know this, but I'd like to share that story now. I read his book in 1985, which was the year I finished my family practice residency, <clears throat> and started my practice in outside of north, north northwest suburbs of Chicago. And I was one brainwashed doctor. I bought into the pharmacological model hook line and sinker. So I read his book and I clearly, like any physician, you're going to have patients that exhibit these symptoms. They're pervasive as we'll get into in a moment. So I tried his approach but because I was so brainwashed I thought the major pro purpose was to kill the yeast so I prescribed antifungals, never addressed the diet. And guess what? It never worked. So uh, I let that go and fester for about six or seven years. It wasn't until the early, maybe late 80s, but early or early 90s, somewhere in that frame. And I had another patient that came in who was a small child, had this chronic diarrhea, and was exhibiting some signs of autistic spectrum disorder. So I said, well, and but I had the classic signs that Dr. Kirk described in his book. So I said, let's we'll try it this time. And for some reason, I'd grown somewhat and became more knowledgeable about nutrition so I said let's do the diet interventions too and lo and behold of course it worked like a miracle and I, I was my eyes were opened and I just it started me down the path I went in the back of his book and there was looked at physicians that I could connect with so I could understand this more and and that eventually started my journey towards getting postgraduate education in natural medicine and then in my voracious reading and and that started the path it really did so I'm very very grateful unfortunately Dr. Crook passed away a number of years ago now but his work continues. So um, let, let's go back to what the issue is. We know how instrumental is to both of our uh, clinical practices. But Candida, Candida albicans specifically, is a yeast that's pervasive. It's it, basically everyone watching this has it in their system. But if your immune system becomes disrupted from lifestyle, exposure to antibiotics, or dietary choices, improper sleep, or any combination of that, then it becomes disrupted and it becomes just grow out of control. So maybe you can expand on that nugget to, you know, at the beginning so people can begin to have an appreciation of the problem. Yes, I can, if I, or I can try. The issue seems to be a, a mixture between um, modern lifestyle and diet, so it can be a range of um, features that lead to some degree of immune uh, suppression, depression, not in the extreme sense, but simply not functioning well enough. What seemed to happen at the same time uh, that I was becoming interested, which was the mid-80s, like yourself, uh, in this almost epidemic of um, symptom, the symptom picture, was the link with the, um, uh, as you say, antibiotics uh, and uh, other hormonal products seem to be getting more and more um, prescribed. So we, we had uh, both medication, which was producing problems, we had lifestyle that was producing problems, and uh, the issues seem to initially start in the gut. Um, that seemed to be the heart of the matter. Now we all, as you say, have yeast in us. So that makes um, diagnosis a little bit uh, problematic because you can do a stool analysis, um, uh, look at the 
content of yeast and it can be quite high but there could be no actual problems that could be in quite a healthy individual uh, it seems that the uh, change in the um, gut flora where which can be the result of uh, antibiotics um, it can also um, simply be a nutritional high sugar diet high refined carbohydrates uh, uh, factor um, leads to this uh, change in gut behavior where the yeast can change because the f normal flora of the gut produces um, biotin um, that's your normal healthy flora uh, and the biotin suppresses the, the ability of yeast to change into a more aggressive mycelial form where it can actually put down little rootlets penetrate the gut mucous membrane and start a process where we start to absorb toxins from the gut and we start getting uh, sensitivity allergic type uh, symptoms body-wide could be pain could be fatigue can be many other things so the change in the in the normal flora uh, seems to be the the key to uh, correcting the problem because they normally keep yeast under control yeast is there but it's not aggressive once we um, lose that uh, the, fu the functionality of the normal gut flora um, the problems accelerate so that that was my um, uh, focus then was to how do we uh, enhance the gut flora what diet suits them best and um, we can come into come on to that and what will um, how will that control the yeast rather than killing the yeast we need to if you like starve it and suppress it naturally the way the body normally does yeah I like the way you phrase it in your book that it, it's really in normal as you just mentioned normal flora and it's not necessarily a pathogen but it's an opportunistic infection and really can be viewed properly as a parasite and an and a freeloader that takes advantage of your mistakes when you fail to implement a proper lifestyle or are exposed and, and buy into the medical paradigm like I did 30 40 years ago hook line and sinker that drugs are the solution that the these the very frequently these drugs the antibiotics the steroid hormones the oral contraceptives uh, when you're taking these it, it changes the um, internal environment that predisposes the candida to grow into this uh, in, uh, in more invasive form of infection that can really cause some problems. Yeah, that summarizes it beautifully and the, the formula that I try to have as an overarching approach to all of these um, chronic problems is to try and simplify it to um, enhance immune function whichever way you can reduce the adaptive load that you're imposing on the system so it can be just be better lifestyle, better sleep, more exercise, improved enhanced diet. So stop feeding the yeast, stop um, damaging your immune function and uh, replenish the, the gut flora as best possible and uh, that's something we do a lot of. And the yeast controlled takes care of itself. You don't have to kill it. There are times and I'm, I have personal experience of that. I had a, um, an injured um, cut. I had a cut in my foot last year from a stepping on some broken glass. It became infected. Uh, it actually became a, a bone infection. I had osteomyelitis. I had to have 
high dosage antibiotics. Um, they say my leg. I have I have my leg, um, but I also had the after effects of the high dose um, antibiotics, and that's dealt with very neatly um, by uh, probiotics, prebiotics, and probiotics, symbiotics, getting the gut flora healthy again. So I, it's not like we can be anti-antibiotics. -anti they save lives. They save my leg. Uh, it's about how can we deal with the repercussions of that and how can we prevent it from affecting us when uh, antibiotics are used unnecessarily, which is, and as you said, oral contraceptives and many other hormone derivatives, sometimes used appropriately, but always going to have this negative effect on control of this um, always present yeast. I mean, it, it's like we have this natural, wonderful um, symbiosis with, the, with our gut flora uh, keeps us alive, keeps us healthy, uh, but if we damage it, we pay the we pay the uh, the price. Yes, indeed. So uh, <clears throat> the intention of this uh, dialogue is not to unnecessarily alarm or instill fear in people, because if you're living a healthy lifestyle, the likelihood that this is going to be an issue for for you is very remote, highly unlikely. But if you're not and you're just seeking to enter into this healthy lifestyle, then there, you it most likely is a challenge for you, and I, I can tell you very simply one of the major clinical symptoms that I notice in people is when they stick their tongue out, and if it's not pink, bright pink, uh, or encoded with white, because usually candida or is um, clinically when you see it in large populations is 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 white. So if you have a white, white coat on your tongue. Yeah, that's that's a major sign that you have some issue. But I'm wondering if you can describe to us some other symptoms that people who aren't living a healthy lifestyle might be alert to that can signal them. Because as you mentioned earlier, a simple stool culture is not going to be very helpful here. We really have to rely on the symptoms. Well, I think it's um, people who um, report, as they often do, that they are sensitive to certain foods, they're reacting to certain foods. They may in fact be um, reacting to um, wheat or dairy foods, but that's unusual. It's when people start to report changes in what they are uh, having negative effects from in their diet, or they're getting unnaturally fatigued, um, or uh, the unusual aches and pains which I, which I associate with um, uh, muscular rather than joint uh, problems and which are again appearing um, for no particular reason especially if this is um, in the female it seems to be a more uh, female gender uh, issue especially if they've been on oral contraceptives or had one or two or three um, prescribed antibiotic courses in the in the last year or so then so it's like and gut symptoms it's um, unusual bloating it is uh, perhaps um, not an irritable bowel but sometimes constipated sometimes diarrhea changes in normal gut function changes in fatigue changes in pain um, symptom, symptoms uh, and odd skin um, issues uh, which can uh, just look like dry patches and obviously the um, 
the vaginitis type symptoms, because this is the most common uh, manifestation in, in young women, is um, inflammation of the genital area. So any, all or any of those might um, set the alarm bells ringing, and that's when often patients would come in. Um, I remember a phrase that uh, Dr. Bland, Jeff Bland, used when I um, worked with him some years ago. He talked about people being um, vertically ill. They weren't sick enough to lie down. They had a catalogue of symptoms. They were still walking around. But, uh, like most of us, or like many people, they had two, three, four, five symptoms, which they shouldn't have, and they couldn't explain it. So it's the unexplained symptoms, um, no obvious pathology. Uh, that's what I would look for. Great. So <clears throat> assuming you have it, clearly the very first step is to remove the factors that contribute to the growth of this organism. And we went over them again, but let's repeat it because repetition is the key to learning. Antibiotics, only take them if your life depends on it. And the subcorollary of that is avoid the antibiotics in almost all uh, confined animal feeding operations or CAFO meat products, that would be beef and chicken primarily, and, and, and uh, pork. So stay away from those because they're loaded with antibiotics. 80% of the antibiotics used in the United States at least are in agriculture. So and then, so the antibiotics, then the hormones, and the unnecessary contraceptives, and sugar. you got to clean up your diet. You can't, you can't have sugar, and ideally, you know, it's a diet we talk about all the time, low in net carbs, high in high-quality fats, and moderate protein. So that's key, and you're doing all those, uh, and maybe you, can, maybe you can mention some more, and then to, to, to round out that process, and then we'll talk about potential other interventions, including pharmacologic and then natural therapies. So what, what other recommendations would you recommend they can do by themselves without anything else other than the ones I mentioned? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. The diet is the key, and the diet needs to be uh, as unprocessed as, as possible. I live in Greece half the year, and the Mediterranean diet is the ideal one. It's um, fish, not farmed fish if possible. Uh, fresh fish, uh, lean meat, if it's from a non-farmed um, uh, source. And now, that, that if, if someone can come with organic meat, that's a different story. Most of it is not. Um, the agricultural industry is a main uh, user, as you say, of uh, antibiotics, and we, that's where we are most at risk. So the dietary changes are very simple. Um, Mediterranean-type diet, vegetables, fruit, not too much of the very sweet fruits at the beginning of a, a candida, an anti-candida program, but certainly um, fruits like papaya and so on are wonderful. The um, avoidance of anything that is going to provoke fermentation. So sugar uh, is the key uh, to avoid. And at the beginning, it's, that even covers things like honey and um, in the first month or two of, uh, of an anti-candida program. So I think it's, it's quite a simple uh, process. It's healthy lifestyle, healthy diet. Um, the program has to be coupled initially by trying to encourage more normal uh, gut flora. So we're, uh, we go straight into the prebiotics and probiotics. That needs to be accompanied by change in diet and avoiding um, 
antibiotics wherever possible. Great. Yeah, there's no question uh, that's going to be an important component of it. So uh, I think the next step, once you've integrated these lifestyle changes into your program, that it, it then uh, is to consider how serious the symptoms are. If they're still persistent, you know, are you a candidate for drug therapy? Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, what I thought was going to be work so wonderful failed miserably because no one implemented the lifestyle changes. So that would be, I think I prescribed uh, Diflucan at the time, uh, mm -hmm. or fluconazole, which was not necessarily recommended in Dr. Crook's book, but he's what I want to discuss with you, because you've got some extensive experience in this, and I you played with this for a while, and I never really came to a firm conclusion, but Dr. Uh, Crook recommends Nystatin, which is uh, available as a powder, or tablets even, but typically powder and, or suspension, that you would swallow in relatively high doses. And it's a relatively benign drug, relatively few side effects, and uh, seem to be useful. But I think I'm wondering what your experience with that is, and if you have any recommendations about people using that, or even some of the more potent antifungals, the pharmacological ones, uh, as part of the comprehensive program to treat resistant treat resistant infections. Yeah, I th I, I've used my statin over the years as a, a fallback. I try to avoid using antifungals unless the, uh, the condition is not improving uh, at a reasonable rate. Um, I think that there is a, an argument for using my statin. Diflucan is another one I do use, that type of uh, antibiotic, but I use it as a fallback position rather than as a starting position. And uh, it need, it's um, initially, I try to get the shift, the tilt towards um, control of the yeast via diet uh, and um, probiotics. And uh, I can't really, um, I can't argue the case for starting with um, Antifungals, I think I use them, as I say, only as a fallback position. And over the years, that has been my, um, it, that has proved adequate. Uh, if people have the patience, there are issues about cost here, because sometimes um, uh, a comprehensive antifungal program becomes somewhat expensive. You've, you, you've got a number of nutrients and probiotics and so on to. Uh, to buy some of the food is more expensive if you if you're buying organic meat rather than uh, the normal processed meat and so on. So I think people have to um, compromise at times. I think using antifungals ex ex unless there's an extreme um, uh, fungal infection that that demands uh, rapid uh, resolution. Uh, I think and and uh, unless there's an economic imperative, I would try to think of it as um, not last resort, but certainly second resort. Primary is, is diet and lifestyle and, um, and the associated probiotics. And there are many, many uh, botanical herbal type products which can assist in that process. So I'm, I'm not sold on always using, or even 50% of the time using um, medication. That's good to know, and that's basically the position that I reached after trying that. And the reason I had 
taken a more aggressive position with that is Dr. Crook's book, as you know, highly recommends that as an intervention. It seems for almost all, everyone. So, uh, but I think your more conservative you, uh, uh, application of using it as a fallback position makes a lot more sense. Uh, and that's a lot of times what it all boils down to is common sense. So getting back to the dietary interventions, and I, I neglected to mention my perspective on the fruit because that was really a key when I was treating patients clinically with this, is to restrict all fruit in the initial stages. And as they improve, they get better. Now, I've learned and, gro and grown since then, and my newest passion is uh, recovering mitochondrial, recovering health through improving mitochondrial metabolism. And uh, basically, that involves people shifting from almost everyone watching this, and the primary, most of the people in the world are burning carbohydrates as their primary fuel, which is a dirty fuel, creating a lot of reactive oxygen species and secondary free radicals, and shifting over to the point where you can metabolically burn fat as your primary fuel. And once you've made that shift, which can take several weeks to several months, somewhat similar to the shift that occurs in treating candida, then, then I think fruit becomes a viable option. But until you're making that shift, I think you're, you're, it's highly counterproductive to have a lot of these fruits. Um, mm. But so I th that kind of goes hand in hand. That's my that's my evolved position on eating fruit. But even then, you have to be careful. You can't overeat it. I personally have about mm, maybe 80, 90 grams of net carbohydrates a day. So that might be 200 grams of carbohydrates. Mm. So uh, that, that's what I would do. But uh, do you have any? Um, responses to that and then we can talk about some of the herb, the uh, probiotics uh, fermented vegetables and then the herbal interventions or not herbal necessarily but um, supplements that might be useful for those yeah um, I'm not uh, I, I my direction has has taken a different one from yours you this um, biochemical or uh, refined uh, attempt to modify uh, the the way the body functions, the mitochondrial function, and so on, it fascinates me. But I have not gone down that route. I got diverted from there, and so I can't really speak to that. I I, I have a far more pragmatic uh, approach to the use of fruit carbohydrates in general, um, which you may well need revising. I may need to do some some studying of of, of your work. Um, more than I have done. That uh, I I use I think I um, I proscribe fruit in the initial stages. I then allow non um, the less sugary type fruit, like I mentioned papaya, um, in increasing quantities. I think by the time I get uh, someone has got three to four months into a, a reformed um, program where Canada is then under control. Uh, or seems to be, um, I'm. I don't limit their fruits uh, in particular. Um, so I think we, we we may have to slightly disagree on that. Okay. Not disagree, well, but I'm. I'm just. Yeah, I'm just I, not there. I just don't think you've been exposed to that li literature yet. But when people are struggling with far more serious diseases like terminal cancer, or heart disease, heart failure. Uh, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson, then you have to get a bit more aggressive. And that's where this conversion to optimization of burning fat for your primary fuel becomes really crucial. And anyone who's actually interested, like myself, in longevity, 
I'm pretty healthy, but I'd like to stay around for a lot longer, you know, maybe another 70, 80 years. And uh, the only way to do that is to opti optimize your health so that uh, you stay healthy long enough to take advantage of some of the technical uh, improvements that will allow us to do that. So, but getting back to the probiotics you mentioned, I think they're crucial, probiotics and prebiotics. Uh, one of my favorites is fermented vegetables. In fact, I personally don't take any probiotics. I use uh, high-quality fermented vegetables that literally have 10, 100, 1,000 times more viable organisms, beneficial organisms in, in there than the probiotics do. So I think that ideally my strategy is to get it from the food rather than to take a supplement. I think that's useful. So maybe you can come on that and then we can talk about some of the other strategies you can use, which are natural approaches mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily supplements, but extracted from nature, things like Peruvian tree barks that you can use and, and aloe and things like that. So well, let's talk about the pro and prebiotics and fermented vegetables for a bit. Yeah, uh, the prebiotics, uh, fructooligosaccharides, um, which are um, taken to enhance the functionality of the, of the uh, normal flora, um, that can be taken as a powder. I absolutely agree that fermented foods are the ideal. Um, it's sometimes a shift too far for people in the early stages. It's completely outside of their culture. Um, it's something that I, I try to introduce um, when I can, but uh, simplicity seems to be, look, I, I, I'll start from a different place. Compliance mm -hmm. with a program is, is always going to be difficult. The more complex it is, the less likely you are to have a patient comply, to fulfill what you're asking them to do. My the essence of compliance for me is the patient needs to understand the why. Why are you asking me to do this? Um, you're asking me to stop eating this. I like this stuff. You're going to ask me to stop it. Now you're asking me to do something else. Um, take this, take and fermented vegetables, for God's sake. No. Um, a, a simple program where it's take this powder, which is a prebiotic, um, once or twice a day. Take these... Um, either the powdered, preferably powdered, or capsule encapsulated um, probiotics, and one or two other things. The more complicated it is, the more expensive it is, the more difficult it is, the less likely you're going to have uh, compliance. And if you lose your patient because they just find it, it's too much, either too expensive or too complicated or too unpleasant, then you've not gained anything. So it's about um, simplicity for me, and I use the... Um, Pro prebiotics, probiotics uh, that come in a simple, easy, easy, easy form to take. Yeah, compliance is a big issue. There's no question. You can, it's, it's basically indisputable because if people are just going to give up and abandon your program because it's too complex, then <clears throat> what good have you done? With respect to prebiotics, though, I'm not necessarily a big fan of FOS, fructooligosaccharides, because I think it's been reported in the literature that that can actually cause some pathogenic bacterial growth. I think it's pseudomonas, sure. but it might be another one. So what it I like can. to do is uh, inc recommend for a, for a prebiotic alternative, a little more natural approach, is just to eat a lot of high fiber foods and try to get your, there, there are programs, Chronometer is my favorite, that you can enter your food and it will tell you how many grams of fiber you're getting. But try to get your daily grams of fiber above 70 grams a day, which is a lot of fiber. And you may not be able to do that unless you use some fiber supplements like chia seeds, which is a whole food, and 
uh, uh, organic psyllium husk. Organic would be important there because psyllium uh, is frequently grown and contaminated with large amounts of pesticides. So those are two that I'm very fond of and take about three tablespoons of each a day and that's why I can get my fiber and take up to about 80 grams. But that's a magnificent form of substrate so that these bacteria can multiply and grow because they, their doubling time is every 20 minutes and if they, they had mm -hmm. the ideal nutrients I mean, they would take over the, the planet, the planet in like a day. But of course, they're they're limited by then their growth by the nutrients. So, but but this will help them. I mean, they you don't need much to get them to grow, and that's a big strategy. So maybe you can come on that, and we can go into some of the other components. Okay. Um, firstly, uh, the take over the planet. Um, yeast will do the same if you give it the right environment. <laughs> sure. Those microbes, they're 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 you got to be careful. Yeah. You know, but the, we're designed but, uh, to work. You know, it really is a synergistic ideal. It's just that when we make it artificial or do these aggressive interventions, they get out of control and it causes problems. Just to go back to the fructooligosaccharides, the FOS, yes, they ca it can lead to um, a small intestine bacterial um, overgrowth. And but it's, that, in my experience, is extremely rare. And again, it's about simplicity. The getting people to eat higher fiber, absolutely. Uh, oatmeal uh, is my favorite. Uh, I mean, it's a favorite because uh, it's easy and because it's familiar. It's not unusual. We also have to think in terms of our cultures. What, what's available to you in the um, health food stores and in pharmacies in the USA is not quite the same as what we have necessarily in Europe. So we have to deal with what we what we have as raw materials. Many of the more exotic um, fibers that you mentioned, a you'll just not find them anywhere. They're too, or they might be too expensive or hard to resource. So the the issue here for me is simplicity. Um, I agree with you. There can be problems with FOS. Um, I've never had it, never noticed any anyway. But it could it could happen. Okay, good. So let's go on to the what I think is one of the fun parts of this. And um, I, as we're doing this interview, I am in the process of writing and finishing up actually the book, my next book, which is about the mitochondrial health. Uh, mitochondrial metabolic therapy is, is sort of what we're calling it. And I've been just immersed in this for the last year. It's my, my new passion because I think it has the potential to literally help hundreds of millions, billions of people once they understand this and integrate into their lifestyle. That's my, probably the rest of my life I'll be helping people understand and implement this. But what fascinated me is because there's, there's a supplement component to this. And if supplements are actually derivatives of food, and what absolutely fascinated me is that your list of, of items that you can take in supplemental form were almost identical to things that improve mitochondrial health. And I want to go over them one by one. It, it just, it just fascinated. I couldn't believe it. It was almost all the same things I'm taking anyway, but not for the reason of eliminating Canada, but for improving mitochondrial health. So let's go over the first one. You talk about caprylic acid. And caprylic acid is a short-chain fat, a derivative of coconut oil, and it's C8. And that is one of, the, it's a little bit, you can actually buy it uh, uh, as a uh, form of an MCT oil. Most MCT oil is C8 and C10, but caprylic acid, there is like nothing, no food source that converts more to ketones than caprylic acid. So it, which is a, a magnificent fuel for your body. So, but what, but it also is a very important antifungal. So why don't you explain how caprylic acid can be used in an anti-candida program? 
Well, we simply use it as one of the antifungals, which we call natural antifungals, it's, uh, to avoid using the, um, the pharmaceutical ver uh, versions. It's, uh, we encourage the use of uh, coconut in many forms, but I can't really expand on that because what you've just elaborated on, its other uses, is like news to me. I'm, I'm familiar <laughs> with it. <laughs> I'm familiar no, with it. I'm telling you, this is big news, and there's a there's a large number, of, uh, increasing number of people are beginning to appreciate this, and it's oh. power. I mean, it's what? been used for almost a century to treat drug-resistant seizure disorders, primarily in kids. I mean, about 90, 80, 90 years has been used, and very, very effectively. Totally unaware of that, and thank you for the information. I shall look up, look it up. But I, I can't really elaborate on on uh, caprylic acid except to say, to we we use it as one of the um, primary antifungals when the diet alone is not doing it, and when probiotics alone are not, um, well, or in combination with probiotics, are not um, producing the results we want. So it's it's never a first line. It's always a uh, individualized prescription if if it's deemed necessary. Well, but I guess... Not for the... Okay, so the interesting component of this, if you have a candidate problem and you can use these supplements, you can benefit from the knowledge that you're also improving your mitochondrial health. And conversely, if you're seeking to optimize mitochondrial health, you're also treating candida, which is like a double win. I didn't, never was aware that it had all these these approaches had similar end, end target points. So the next down the list is berberine, which is another one that I'm really fascinated with, which is a very potent alkaloid, probably one of the up-and-coming supplements on the market. And it's very effective in, in assisting mitochondrial function. So maybe you can elaborate on its use in the treatment of candida. Again, it's uh, I, I'm, I'm going to have to give you the same answer. Elaboration okay, is not, not possible. It, uh, it, we use Echinacea, Hydrastis, Berberine, um, bar, tree bark you mentioned, Powdaco from uh, tree barks. Uh, we use a variety of uh, botanical um, products which in, the, in this context are used to deal with uh, yeast overgrowth, but th that they have other benefits Double double bonus, wonderful. I didn't. Yeah. I was unaware of. Here's one that you're not, and hardly anyone is. I, I found it through an obscure uh, scientist that had basically 300 views on his YouTube channel. I just happened to listen to it, and I was just fascinated. Um, and this is actually Podiarco, uh, which mm. one of the the primary ingredient in Podiarco is something called beta lapichone. And what are we talking about that for with respect to mitochondrial health? Well, there is a, uh, it's not a nutrient, there's a molecule, it's called NAD+, plus, which if you've studied biology, you'll understand is an acceptor for electrons and electron transport chain in the mitochondria, really important. But it's also, in addition to that critical and vital function that it plays in the mitochondria, it also is an important signaling molecule. It's a sensor for... Uh, for stress and for disease. And the interesting thing about NAD plus is as you age, it goes down pretty dramatically, maybe 50%. And th this <clears throat> anti-aging researchers are identifying this molecule, NAD plus, is probably the primary 
control mechanism for slowing down the aging process. It may be the most critical one, far more important than resveratrol, because resveratrol actually hits CERT1, but NAD plus can hit all the sirtuins. So it's really important. And this beta-lapachone derivative from Pauliarco may be one of the most important catalyst to improve NAD plus and it's really inexpensive so I've, I've used this all the time uh, I've been using it for the, like the last month or two and I make up a liposomal preparation of it but it's again a yet another one and I, I'm sure you're gonna have the same response so I'll just go on to the another <laughs> one that, that you can have which is aloe I, I personally grow about 300 aloe plants in my front yard and I have I have about two giant aloe leaves a day. I put in my smoothies uh, because it has it's it's a mucopolysaccharide and it has so many powerful immune benefits. But again, it, it works for the mitochondria. So, are any comments on aloe for the in the treatment of candida? I I do regret having to keep repeating myself. <laughs> okay. I, 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 my focus was always in this context to deal with the the yeast issue. And okay. um, the, the fact that it has so many, many of these things obviously have other benefits. I'm looking at olive oil as another one, oregano uh -huh. um, uh, um, extract, oregano, oregano oil. We grow all of, we grow that here in Greece. Um, Was that oregano, oregano or oregano? I mean, it's just, well, same. That's the same animal. Okay, well, yeah, I just want to make sure. Most people, you know, might be something different. I, just, I didn't mean to. No, no. You pronounce it oregano. We pronounce okay. it oregano. Um, okay. But all of these are, are um, antifungal, and that they have multiple other benefits. Olive oil, for example, we know has numerous, numerous, numerous benefits. And I was reading today about uh, new research into the benefits of olive oil. It goes on and on and on. So. What really would be um, useful is if I could take a chunk of your, a chapter of your new book and graft it onto my uh, chapter <laughs> and say, well, <laughs> there's a double benefit here um, because this is really complementary in every sense of the word. And yes. uh, the fact that I'm uh, I'm promoting the or suggesting these particular agents uh, in an antifungal context, uh, I've not in, in I've not explored their other possible benefits and. Um, I, I need, if I can, uh, to just divert slightly from where from where we are. I, I know sure. you. No, that's fine. I, 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 that, that's fine. We can go to, to have a digression. I just I just thought it was a very interesting. Uh, well, I'm fascinated. I'm fascinated, and uh, there are another 15 things I've got to study up on. There we are. What happened um, in the when I after the uh, initial. Um, focus on yeast, pro yeast problems. In the mid-90s, I was writing a, a series of books from, uh, for Elsevier in, uh, in the United Kingdom on manual medicine in various forms, and I was doing some videos for them. And uh, the one particular day, I was highly involved in um, uh, tight deadlines, a lot of uh, time pressure, extremely hot uh, studio, and I started to develop symptoms down the left side of my body, which were odd. I thought I was having a stroke. In the end, I ended up with a full tetanic contracture on the left side of my body, which was just, um, diagnosed by the neurologist who saw me as hyper, a result of hyperventilation. Hmm. And I had no idea that I wasn't breathing normally. So my whole focus turned towards breathing issues. And I've, I've spent 10, 15 years working on the biochemical effects of breathing 
dysfunction, which is extremely common, and many of them were identical to yeast problems. I'm beginning to see how young women with yeast-related problems, many of them um, uh, had upper chest breathing patterns. It's extremely common in women to have that. And these uh, breathing pattern disorders um, were leading to a, a range of symptoms, gut symptoms, because smooth muscle constriction occurs when you're, when you're in a state of respiratory alkalosis through overbreathing. Uh, they were getting fatigued. They were getting all of the symptoms that I thought were yeast-related. Many of the yeast-type problems are compounded, aggravated by breathing, uh, common breathing pattern disorders. Not, to, not pathology, simply dysfunction. And that's where my um, focus has been, during which time I could, hopefully, or perhaps more beneficially, been focusing on what you're studying, uh, which is the mitochondrial issues. No, no, I, I didn't mean to, to have some superior, no, superiority. It's just, no, it's because that's important. No, everything is important. But what I was trying to explain is why I, I think I, um, my focus on the um, yeast-related problems diverted to similar problems produ being produced by other Dis, uh, dysfunctions. And so when you, you uh, present me with the information that I should have in my, I should have in my head about these wonderful uh, other effects of the things that I've been recommending, I'm not embarrassed, but I'm irritated with myself for not having followed up. Oh, no, you just have to love yourself. That's the key. But, the, you know, we, we focus on breathing quite a bit because yeah, you, you're doing the best you can. It's not like you're irresponsible. This is brand new information. There's no one in the world that's going to know everything. That's just the way it is. So we, we, That's why I love interviewing people because I, they get to share their years of clinical experience and we can get some nuggets and pearls out to everyone, including myself. But the breathing, we've, we've uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the Butenko breathing method. And That's we've, awesome. yeah, so we've had Patrick McGowan, who is one of the leaders in the world on teaching uh, that he's, he's out of Ireland. I, I've, met, I've, I've met him, yes. Yeah, so he, yeah, it's great. I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's a very, very powerful intervention. It can, can clearly help mm. uh, abort panic attacks and really have profound benefits on your health overall. I didn't, wasn't aware that it would be related to Canada, but it makes no not, not, not related, Not related, but very similar symptoms can emerge from, okay. both, from both directions, and sometimes they're both, they're both happening, and you're only dealing with the one. The ideal is to deal with lifestyle, which would include enhanced breathing patterns and so on, and, and the dietary side. The problem is if you only focus on the diet and the... Uh, the obvious yeast uh, overgrowth, and you don't deal with what might be feeding into it um, from what is an extremely common uh, problem, uh, you miss part of the story. Okay, that makes sense. Well, it, if you have been listening and watching this and been intrigued with the information and feel that you may suffer from a yeast overgrowth. And as, and as I said, if you're not leading a really healthy lifestyle and engaging in some of these other foods that we've been talking about, or not engaging but consuming them, then there's a good likelihood you, this candida, which is a, a really present in all of us, may have over grown to the point where it's a parasite and really causing you symptoms that are taken away from your health. So um, there's certainly good information we provide in here, but it's a more comprehensive approach in Dr. Chaitao's book that you can pick up. And it, the name of that book is uh, Canada Albicans. Is, is that the correct name? And 
Okay, so uh, and then it's available on Amazon, and you're in the fourth edition of it now, and it's really is a pretty solid. Uh, book that summarizes it very, very well. It's sort of an update to Dr. Crook's book, and you, you may want to pick those up at the library. I, I, they may even still be publishing it, but he, he was a, Dr. Crook was a prolific writer. He wrote many, many books on this topic, uh, and then Dr. Trust, Ryan Trust, I believe, was one of Dr. Ryan. Crook's one of Dr. Crook's mentors. So these are the two pioneers in this area, and they both have since passed away. But that, that, yes, I, I think both The Missing Diagnosis by Truss and uh, Dr. Crook's book, The Yeast Connection, they're, they're both still available um, on Amazon. Okay, great. And your book is another uh, sort of an updated version because, as I said, those, those individuals are no longer with us. And as far as I recall, I just may be ignorance at the point, but I don't believe Dr. Crook went into s some of the natural therapies. I mean, certainly caprylic, caprylic acid and oregano. And interestingly, I, I've got a massive oregano bed that I have every day. I just cut I just you know, like eight ounces of oregano and just put it in my salad. So uh, fresh is best, I think, and especially if you can grow it yourself. Oh, one, one point on the olive oil, you've got to be careful. You're in Greece, so it's not as big of an issue, but in the United States, uh, 60 Minutes uh, earlier this year did a massive expose uh, on the Italian mafia with respect to uh, olive oil. It's a, they're, they're making 50 billion dollars by adulterating it with safflower oil, a, a really pernicious, uh, yeah. highly oxidizable omega-6 refined vegetable oil that is that is adulterated 80% of the olive oil in the U.S., 80%. I will not yeah. buy fish canned in olive oil because it's like almost 100 to 1 guaranteed it's going to be an adulterated oil because they're going to use the cheapest one. You're absolutely right. We have a very low acidity uh, oil here. It's from our own olive trees, and believe me, we know very well what's happening with the world. Of, um, uh, they buy olive oil from Greece, they take it to Italy, they adulterate it, they add other stuff to it, and they sell it off as pure virgin olive oil, which it isn't. So if you can get so, the real thing, I mean, you're going to pay more for it. So, And you know, some of the big brands like Costco, I could think, in the United States is one that's pretty good about making sure that their their products that they sell are not adulterated. But you, if you're not getting it from there, you're really confident. You have to be very, very careful. Or if you could live in Greece and pick your olives. You know, I've, I've got an olive tree in my backyard. It actually has a lot of olives, but I've just never figured out how to, how to harvest them and process them and turn them into olive oil. I've got to figure it out one of these days. Uh, I'll send you a diagram. Oh, well, definitely do that. I would really appreciate that. I think we covered it pretty no, I, well. Unless there's anything else you'd like to add to it or any website no, that you have to refer people to? or It's www.leonchato.com, L-E-O-N-C-H-A-I-T-O-W.com. But the probiotics themselves, just be careful of what you're buying. Um, it, if, unless it states on the bottle um, the actual amount that's going to be in it at the time of opening, not at the time of manufacture, be careful of what you're buying because it, it, you've got problems there as well. People are selling dead material. Yes, indeed. And we've got the quality is always the key. And you know, we definitely sell supplements and and natural health resources on our site, and that's our primary focus to make sure it's the highest quality possible because it's just not worth it. I mean, it may cost a little bit more, but you know, buying yeah. inferior 
products is going to save you a little bit of money, but ultimately it's going to cost you a heck of a lot more in your health, and no one needs that. Okay. Well, I hope uh, our discussion has given you something to use. Yeah, uh, everyone, I would agree, and thank you for uh, helping, uh, for sharing your insights for many years of helping people get better with this problem. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers.